Good afternoon and welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. I am Jeff Smelser in Exton, Pennsylvania. With me as usual, Chase Byers and Joe Works. Chase Byers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Good afternoon, Chase. Hey, Jeff. How are you today? Great. And Joe Works, who I really, really hope will join us actually with a camera on his face instead of that mug that we see right now. <laughs> hey, Joe. <laughs> wow. That's not, what's wrong with my mug? In Elmira, New York. The mug you had on screen uh, was not you. Um, it was not well, Speaking of mugs, you had a mug on your desk, didn't you? Uh, no, we're not going to go there, are we? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Philippians chapter four. Um, so <laughs> we're all, all happy and upbeat, but Philippians is a letter in which Paul gives people profound reasons for being happy and upbeat. One of the things that we see all through the letter in Philippians is this word rejoice. Uh, we did note that when we got into chapter three, even though this is a very upbeat, positive letter and Paul is talking about rejoicing, uh, he does take time to warn them about a problem that could certainly uh, interfere with their joy. And that's false doctrine. And he addresses that. But then we come to chapter four. And I guess I want to go back and read the last two verses of chapter three, because that's going to lead into chapter four. Philippians chapter three, verse 24, our citizenship is in heaven. You know, Drew DeGrotto, who does the, the marketing for this, and he does the tech stuff in the background and all of that, he was insistent that we get some thorough verbiage in the description so that when people are searching for this program, that they could find it if they were searching certain key terms. And we were talking about the idea of anxiety, and he wanted to know, could we include the fact that we live in a time when there's a lot of anxiety, and Paul's going to say, don't be anxious in anything, and we can be content in all things. It starts right here in chapter 3, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. And we'll come back to this idea, but if you think about everything that's going on in the world right now that could cause a lot of anxiety, if our citizenship is in heaven, if our focus is in heaven, our interests are in heaven, our concerns are in heaven, our goals are in heaven, then I think that that's going to help us pass by a lot of the anxiety-producing events of the world around us. But he says, our citizenship is in heaven, whence also we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall fashion anew the body of our humiliation, that it may conform to the body of his glory, according to the working whereby he is able even to subject all things to himself. Wherefore, now we're in chapter four, wherefore, my brethren, because of this, beloved and longed for, uh, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my beloved. All right, I want to focus, guys, on these words, my brethren, beloved and longed for. Um, what, is, what about this letter is so personal? I mean, we see this phrase, but what about this letter is so personal that it makes sense that we would see him saying, my brethren beloved and longed for. Paul clearly had a connection with this group, um, not, not just in a um, purely emotional way, uh, but kind of a financial way as well. This group had a lot to do with his ability to go out and preach and teach the gospel. Um, that'll be something we look at a little bit more at the end of chapter four, but something we also saw at the beginning in chapter one and verse five uh, verse three, verse four, rather, he says he was always offering prayer with joy in his every prayer for them in view of their participation in the gospel from the first day until now. But Paul had an early start with these people um, from the very beginning of the church there, even to the work that he's doing now. Um, and it would also seem just from this letter 
he really didn't have a whole lot to get get after them about. Now we'll talk about verse two yeah. of chapter four in just a second, but yeah. this seemed to be a really good church that just had his back, gave him some financial support when he needed it. He could trust them in hard times, and he just had a good working relationship with them. And I think that shines through in the verbiage he uses here. And so he says, my joy and my crown. Joe, you've worked in a lot of different places over the years you've been preaching. As you look back over your years of preaching, think about Paul, who had preached the gospel in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And I think those are the cities he has in mind when he writes to the churches of Galatia. And, and he, he can't just say, hey, you're doing great. It's so good to hear of your faith. He has to talk to them about how they're being led astray. And he was in Corinth, and yet he had to write a letter to the Corinthians that was really a strongly worded, admonishing letter. But uh, we write to the, we see him writing to the Philippians, and it's it's a different thing as Faith just described. As you think over years years preaching, Joe, is there some place that you can think of where you preach the gospel and the work that you were able to do there, and what you were able to see come of it that you can look back and say, "My joy and my crown." Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and no, I'm not going to name which one it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to ask you but, but you can think of the places where you've worked where, you know, you did what you could and you feel like, you know what, wish it had gone better. And then you can think of other places where you did what you could and it really, people just soaked up the word and it, they've stuck with it, right? And, and, and maybe also a, a little bit of what Chase was saying earlier, but maybe a slightly different slant. Uh, when you go through something traumatic with people, there, there's, a, there's a tremendous bond that is created in that. If, if everyone comes out faithful to the Lord, you know, you, you've got something there that you may not even be able to fully explain to others. Um, but, but there's just a connection. I, I think that's, that's a natural thing, probably not difficult to imagine. Now, as he writes to the Philippians, Chase, you alluded to it. He does say, I exhort Yodia and I exhort Syntyche, apparently two women, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And you've already alluded to it, Chase. That kind of sounds like there's a little bit of problem between those two women, doesn't it? Yeah. And I mean, who, who knows exactly how he, he had heard about this, um, but it had obviously become sharp enough that Paul, who's in prison, was even able to hear about the fact that these two women were were feuding, and it quite possibly was was detrimental to other relationships in the church as well. And yet I wonder if the fact that he could just say that, he didn't have to go into a lengthy discussion like he did with the matter of the fornicator who had his father's wife in the church at Corinth. All he said here was, be of the same mind in the Lord. The yeah. fact that he felt like, that's all I need to say. Yep. Maybe that even speaks to the fact that whereas, while there was this little problem there, it was not a huge deal about to tear apart the congregation. It was something where a word to the wise would be sufficient. Yes, and it, and it speaks to the relationship that Paul had with them as well. I'm sure you guys can also think of men or women in your life. I'm, I'm thinking of one right now, one man in particular, that if he, just, if he stepped in for two minutes and just said, Chase, fix this right now, there would be no arguing. There, there wouldn't be anything I would say other than, yes, sir, I'll work on that. <laughs> um, because, and it's because that man, he's built that kind of rapport with me. He's, he has, he's been with me in those moments before. And so Paul clearly had, I think that kind of relationship with these people. He didn't have to expound on it. He just said, Hey, you two, you really need to work, work together better. Uh, you need to be in harmony in the Lord. And in verse three, 
he'll talk about, you know, there's men in that church, people in that church that are going to be able to help them with that fact. And, and he describes these women in verse three as women who, if I understand this correctly, he's referring to them when he says, they labored with me in the gospel. Verse three says, yeah, I beseech thee also true yoke fellow, help these women for they labored with me in the gospel with Plymouth also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Am I reading that wrong or am I reading that right? I think you got it. No, I think that's exactly right. And then that gets us to verse four and, and five and six. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearance be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. In nothing be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall guard your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. So let's talk about this idea of not being anxious a little bit. It's a lot I'm of anxious to talk about it. You're anxious? No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. So, so, and this I learned from my mother-in-law. The word anxious and eager are two different things. And we're eager to talk about it. If we said we're anxious to talk about it, that would mean we have anxiety about talking about it. And uh, so I would say something like, boy, I'm anxious for supper when I would be at my mother-in-law's house. And that was not the thing to say, because that meant I had anxiety about the supper she fixed. <laughs> so, so she taught me the difference between eager and anxious. So anxious means to, to be concerned and worried. And so when, Matt, when Jesus says over in Matthew, the fifth chapter, um, Matthew, the fifth chapter in verse uh, 25, he says, therefore I say unto you, be not anxious for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink. He didn't say, don't be eager for your life, what you shall eat or what you should drink. Don't have anxiety about it. So guys, there are a lot of people who have a lot of anxiety today. And there are a lot of things that seem to produce a lot of anxiety. How is it that God's people can not be anxious? So in order to answer that question, could I muddy the text a little bit? Well, I don't know. You put that's, the question that way. I hate to say that's, I mean, what else do we do in a Bible quest? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> All right. So does it not seem a little bit odd that verses two and three are just kind of thrown in right here? Um, you know, it, it would almost go smoother to go from 4-1 to 4-4 uh, yep. and sort of ignore those two verses. You're right. And, and even possibly put those two verses back in yeah. Go ahead, no, I'm sorry. There was a bit of a, a delay. I was just saying it would be make more sense to put two and three back in the section where he's encouraging them to be united and to think of one another and uh, put each other's interests ahead of their own. And so when there are situations of anxiety, not eating at your mother-in-law's, um, uh, but when there are situations that are coming up like COVID or financial issues or what color carpet is the church going to purchase or you know, whatever it might be um, where there could be situations where Yodi and Syntyche or Jeff and Chase or whoever are, are tempted to, to have some conflict maybe these are the things that we ought to focus on in order to avoid that. And so the same thing, I, I, I'm, I'm suggesting that Yodi and Syntyche, what they needed to do was not focus on whatever personal thing it was that was dividing them, 
that they needed to realize that they needed to stand fast in the Lord, that they need to have the same mind in the Lord, verse 1, verse 2, uh, that they are fellow workers, verse 3, they need to rejoice in the Lord, verse 4, they need to remember that the Lord is at hand, verse 5, they need to not be anxious. Does anxiety ever cause us to maybe lash out at other people over things that maybe aren't that big of a deal, or at least we ought not to draw the line in the sand over, you know? Absolutely. Uh, sure. Like face masks or something like that. Sure. Um, is, is that. Is that really where we want the battle to be drawn in our congregation? Right, exactly. Point well made. And so you have the word forbearance here. Um, and right. that's important. Did, did both your Bibles, do your translations say forbearance in verse five? Gentleness. Gentleness, yeah. And I think that's probably a more literal translation of the word here. But we are gentle with one another when we are forbearing things that, you know, we, we don't have to fight a battle about. We, we, can, uh, we can accommodate one another. And uh, that's what he you seems know, to be urging here. You know, anxiety, I think, arises in all of us, um, specifically when it's about something that's unknown. Uh, maybe it's an unknown factor in our world or something that we're not sure about that's going to happen. That's when we get nervous. That's when we get anxious, when there's not anything concrete. And so often is often what we'll do is, is we'll, we'll hang on to what is very concrete and we'll even argue about different things that, that we are sure about with others that, that really aren't all that important because that makes us feel safe. That makes us feel better if we're hanging on to something that is sure. Um, and so it's got to be, it's really important for us to, in, in a moment of anxiety, don't lash out on, at others. Don't, don't just cling to, uh, to some type of false hope, but rather I love kind of the, the practical side of verse six, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. If and you're why, anxious about something, pray about it. Take it to the Lord. Why take it to the Lord? Why to the Lord? Because he can do something with the unknown. He, he can, can do, do something, something about it. I can't. And so, you know, Peter talks about in First Peter, the fifth chapter, I think it's verse 10, casting our cares upon the Lord. Uh, he's the one who can do things about things that I can't do anything about. He's the one who knows what the best thing to do is. And he is the one who wants the best for me and everyone else. So if I put it in his hands, uh, that's a whole lot better place for it than for me to just fret about it when I can't do anything about it. And so we look at the, the politics well, of, go ahead. I mean, what, the, what you just said, amen. And Paul, Paul has made that point to them already. Guys, I'm in prison. There's selfish preachers out there and I could die. All three circumstances I can't do anything about, but I'm going to focus on what I can do and I'm going to put trust in the Lord. Yeah, yeah. And so we, we look at what's going on in the world today. People are anxious about COVID-19. They're anxious about the election. I'm interested in the election. Uh, but the fact is, there's a lot of corruption in the United States of America. And whatever happens in this election is probably not going to change the fact that there's a lot of corruption, there's a lot of immorality in the United States of America. You know who's some, who can do something about that and who will do what needs to be done about that? The Lord. Our citizenship is in heaven. Let's put our trust in him. Let's, let's live for eternal life. Let's live for uh, our king. And that's, you know, our, our Lord. And if we do that, then maybe we can say, you know, while sure, I wish this were done in politics, or I wish that were done, or I wish this person were elected, or I wish this person weren't elected. That's not the end all for me. Those things, they're going to happen one way or another, and God is ultimately going to deal with it one way or another. 
Um, so I don't have to be anxious about those things. And so whoever this uh, true companion of verse three is, um, I wish he was on Facebook more often. You know, Back in verse have, Yeah, you know, when we have people who are, when, when there is a Synthagy and a Yodia who are, are struggling, you know, and, and, you know, having different attitudes about something, having a, yeah. having a step in and, and seek to be the, the peacemaker and to remind them of what's, what's eternally important. So who is the true companion? Who do you think? The, the Hebrew writer. You know what? Okay. <laughs> All right. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't have an idea. But I, I do, I do amen your point, Joe. Um, and I think we should all strive to want to be that true companion that's being described here. Every church needs somebody, multiple if they can, peacemakers, people who can step in and help in a, a situation, not to make it about themselves, but to help somebody uh, help a couple of people work through some problems. And so I think that's definitely what we want to strive to be. We don't want to be the Yodia, the Yodia and Syntyche. We want to be the peacemaker. So what did Jesus say in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers. For what shall what be a great thing God. to be known as a peacemaker. And there are people I have known who are just troublemakers. You, you, you can just be sure if there's, a, if there's a scrap in a congregation or in a neighborhood you can pretty much guess that that person's going to be in the middle of it. Um, but there are people who are peacemakers. And they're people, when there is a difficulty amongst people, you can be pretty sure that if they get in the middle of it, they're going to settle things down a little bit. It, it reminds me in Romans 12, when Paul gives a, a list of some of the gifts that people have in a local church, he, he talks about he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The, those two descriptions of people are your peacemakers. Those are the guys you want to step in because I'm, I'm with you. There certainly are some people who just have a natural ability. Maybe, maybe it's just a softer attitude about things, but they just have a natural ability to step in and help two parties reconcile and be able to work out differences. It's, that's a true gift from the Lord. Now it's not something I'm saying that we can't all work on, but there are certainly some people who are just naturally gifted at that. And maybe let's challenge our, our, our viewers. If you're watching this, we really, believe it or not, we really have hoped to develop a greater audience amongst people who are not believers in God, who do not know the Bible, who do not understand what it's all about. But the fact is, I think a lot of you who watch this or listen to this as a podcast are Christians. And so for, for those of you, let's just, let's just uh, give you this admonition. Uh, if, you're, if you don't think of yourself as a peacemaker, if you don't think of yourself as this kind of person who, like this true yoke fellow, can help a situation when there's differences between people, work on being more of a peacemaker. Um, that'll be good for the congregation wherever you are. Amen. Ready for verse 8, guys? Joe, why don't you take us through verses 8 through 9? Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are a good report, if there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. There's some practical exhortation there, um, what to think about, what to fill your minds with. We live in a time when there are a lot of things that are aggravating. 
And we can be the kind of person who just spends all our time reading the latest news and reading the latest report about who did this or who did that, and we can get aggravated. Uh, I was talking with my brother earlier today, and we were talking about some of the things going on in the world, and they're aggravating things. Frankly, we, we were just laughing at it, but um, that's another way to deal with things sometimes. But you know, there, there are newscasts and there are news sources that I've just come to steer away from. Because when I would spend time in them, I would just get aggravated. And I, I'm not saying we should just put blinders on and be oblivious to everything around us. But if you find yourself consumed with anger and animosity because you just take in a diet of all these things that are aggravating and you don't spend time thinking on what is good and right, maybe, maybe we need to take this passage to heart and say, hey, maybe I need to spend more time thinking about things that are true, that are honorable, that are just, that are pure, lovely, of good report. Chase was telling us a story just before we got started, just some good news, just a good report about somebody showing a good attitude, and that's encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I, I'll tell you, media certainly shapes that, and if, it, if it's not just the news in general, it, it's, it might be something else that we're consuming. Maybe it's social media, maybe it's some TV show that we've been binge watching, a video game that we've been playing. I know I've, I've been guilty of this. Just on, on Monday, um, normally it's kind of like my day off, I was spending that day downstairs tiling and there's a, there's a TV show my wife and I recently started and I noticed and, and, and you know, you guys know how it is when you're working on something, uh, your mind just, just goes as you're working. And I found myself meditating and dwelling on that TV show. And I stopped myself. I was like, dude, you did this to yourself. You know, you watched enough of this then in this, these moments where, because I've, I've also equally, the week before that, when I was down there working, I was sitting there dwelling on the word because that's what I had been spending my time. Okay, and so there's this, there's this constant battle sometimes for me yeah. of consuming too much media to the point where I am meditating on that. But if I have enough Bible study, that's what I'm meditating on in those moments of, of dull space in my mind. So the TV show you were watching, was it Zombies? No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> I don't get the zombie thing. I don't know why in the world people got so fascinated with zombies. It doesn't seem all that uplifting to me. <laughs> I, I would, I would but agree. It, but it's, it's so true, and everyone that's listening knows this. Whatever we're consuming, that's what we're going to be meditating on. That's what we're going to be dwelling on in those moments of free time where, where we just don't, we can't be physically reading our Bible or something, but we can meditate. What are we pouring in so that we can be meditating on later, um, I guess is all I'm saying. So I'm kicking myself in the pants as I read this. Uh, you know, we, these are the things we need to focus on. Joe, you look like you had something there. Well, I was just thinking about it being a political year and your comment about zombies, but I'm not going there. Um, <laughs> I, you know, to me, it's helpful to think about this long list that Paul gives. They're not extremely long, but the, the list of uh, of things that he mentions here in verse 8, whatever things are, you sort of get the cliff notes of that in Colossians 3 and verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Yeah. You know, that's just a really succinct way of, of saying what he said here. You know, these are the things that are worthy of contemplation. Um, uh, let's just, let's just focus on those and, and, if you're anxious about the news and about the riots, turn the TV off. Uh, it is almost guaranteed that in your neighborhood, it's not nearly what you're seeing on, 
on, on the news. Get out and talk to some people. Uh, share the gospel. Uh, you know, uh, Jeff, your, your brother uh, reposted from somebody else, you know, uh, do some small things, hold the door for somebody, you know, compliment somebody's hat or, you know, whatever it is. But, and, and, and obviously we want to try to get to the gospel with people, but just be kind and, and, and see how that both changes them and you. Right. Let's think about good things. Good. All right. So I think we get the idea there. Now in verse 10, he says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your thought for me, where indeed you did indeed take thought, but you lacked opportunity. Now, if you just stop there, you might go, what? Had they not thought about Paul for a long time and all of a sudden they remembered him? But he's not just talking about a mental awareness. Oh yeah, Paul, as we keep going, what are we going to find out he's talking about? They're remembering him in uh, some financial matters, their, yeah. their ability to help him again, not, not just recalling it, but, uh, but being able to assist him. And Chase alluded to this a little bit earlier. So we, when we were back in Philippians 2, we made note of the fact that he is sending Epaphroditus back to them. Epaphroditus was one of the Philippians. He was with Paul. He'd gotten sick, nearly died. Philippians had heard about it. They were concerned. So Paul sends Epaphroditus back to them so that they can see he's doing well. And at the same time, he sends this letter. Uh, but apparently Epaphroditus was the one who had brought their gift to him. And I think we saw that back in Philippians, the first chapter. Um, oh, and it's verse 25 and so on. Yeah, verse 25, Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. So Epaphroditus was apparently somebody who the Philippians had sent Paul with a gift. Epaphroditus had gotten sick. Now he's better. Paul is sending Epaphroditus back and doing two things, sending this letter with him and thanking them for their gift in that letter. So he says in verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want. Now want here means lack. I'm not, I'm not speaking that, that I, I think his point is probably, I'm not talking about the fact that I was, at my wit's end and didn't have anything. Uh, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therein to be content. So you know what? Whatever condition I was in before your gift came, I could be content in that condition. And I can be content with your gift. As a matter of fact, he says in verse 12, I know how to be abased and I know also how to abound. How does your translation read in that, either of you, in verse 12, the first half of the verse? I know how to get along and hum with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. Okay. And you know, that, that is a, that's, um, that takes a little maturity to be content with little or to be content with much. Uh, and I, I think I've known people who couldn't be content with little, and I think I've known people who couldn't be content with much. And sometimes people can't be content with much because uh, they've got to have more. And sometimes people can't be content with much because they feel so guilty about having much and they don't know how to act. And of course, Christians are to be willing to communicate. Paul talks about those who are rich in this present world over in 1 Timothy 6 chapter, and he tells Timothy to tell them to be ready to communicate, ready to share, that is, to be rich in, in good works and so on. So a person needs to, to learn how to be content in whatever state he is in. 
Um, and so Paul says, that's, that's the way it is with me. And he says in the last part of verse 12, in, in everything and in all things have I learned the secret both to be filled and to be hungry, both to abound and to be in want. Want here meaning in need, in lack. Um, I can do all things in him that strengthens me. Do you ever hear that passage get, get quoted out of context? You know, I thought that that was just a standalone verse of its own. I didn't even know it had a context. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's often how it's treated. I think, I think some people do believe it just drops out of the sky and there it is because of how much it's quoted. And I'll be fair, this is a beautiful verse. It's it really is. cool. But, but I do like to challenge people when I see that written on their, their shirts or whatever, all friendly, you know, be friendly and walk up yeah. and say, hey, you know, it's cool that you have that on your shirt. Do you happen to know the context that that passage drops in? Not that it negates whatever point that they're making. It might, it might not. I don't know. But it is cool to point out, be like, yeah, Paul says that when he's literally talking about starving or yeah. not having <laughs> anything. Like when, when he is absolutely, and here you are, you know, wearing it for this particular reason that might be, you yeah, know. Say, I can be a ballet dancer because I can do all things through him that strengthens me. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, Limit to the verse, Jeff. <laughs> So not to say that we can't apply this to ourselves, because we certainly can. Uh, I, I don't, because that's Paul's whole point. Paul, Paul is saying you all very well might be and have gone through similar things that I've went through. Um, you all have shared with me here. And so you might go through some of the same things and know that you can be strengthened through Christ in your poverty uh, for, the sake of, for the sake of Christ. And so we can apply this to ourselves. I think we just need to be careful how we do so. It's interesting that the Philippians are in Macedonia. And in 2 Corinthians, the eighth chapter, Paul is going to talk about the Macedonians as being people in deep poverty. And he's going to commend them because in spite of their deep poverty, they were generous and willing to uh, send money for the needy Christians amongst the Jews back in Jerusalem. But that's interesting to look at this letter and to think about the deep poverty of the Christians generally in Macedonia, the Philippians being among them, and then thinking about their gift to Paul and Paul expressing his gratitude toward them and talking about being content, whatever condition you're in. Yeah, and I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's teaching this to the Philippians who he had finished saying at the end of chapter one, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. You know, I can do all things, I can suffer for Christ. Um, you know, really, it, it's not just all of the, the glitter and gold. Those are, those are things we need to be willing to do in contentment and, and gratitude. But being hungry, as Chase mentioned, the very previous verse, uh, 4.12, uh, suffering. Those are the things that Paul is drawing attention to. That's such a, so you guys are really developing that well, that, that contrast between what Paul's saying. I can even suffer. Christ. I can do all things through him that strengthens me versus the attitude. I can be a ballet dancer if I want to. You know, that's, that's a different, it's a different focus. Yeah. I know, well, and it, and it packs, it, it, go ahead, Joe, go ahead. Well, I was just going to mention that I, I don't know how purposeful this is, but it helps me to appreciate what he's encouraging Yodi and Syntyche to do as well. Be anxious for nothing. Uh, you know, here I am. I, Remember all these things that have happened to me, Paul is saying, you know, you all be anxious for nothing uh, as well. You know, if, if I have somebody as a role model, it sure makes it a lot easier for me to fit into the proper role as well. 
it just it packs a bigger punch when you understand what Paul had been through. Um, I think too about like Acts 14, right? As he's been through Iconium and some of these other cities, and he is stoned, dragged out of the city. The brethren suppose him to be dead because of this stoning that happens in these different persecutions in the chapter. And he just gets up the next day and he goes into the next city. And I love as he gets into the next city, he says uh, in the cities of Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Okay, imagine Paul saying that to these churches as he still has fresh wounds from being stoned. Yeah, yeah. It packs a bigger punch whenever the man is saying this who's clearly been through it. And at the end of his uh, one of the last writings we have in 2 Timothy 3, he'll say to Timothy about the persecutions he endured, persecution suffering such as happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord rescued me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When Paul says things like that, he's saying, he's talking about some suffering and some things that we have never been through. Maybe we will one day, but it packs a bigger punch when you realize everything Paul, the apostle went through. Um, and so mm-hmm. it's just so important. Next, next time somebody sees someone with Philippians 4.13 written, don't go and jump down their throat. But I think it is a great opportunity to approach them and say, hey, do you know the context of that? Because it's really cool. Well put. So we move on into verse 15. Well, let's go back to verse 14, read straight on through. Howbeit you did well that you had fellowship with my affliction. And ye yourselves also know, you Philippians, that in the beginning of the gospel, what do you think we, what, what does he mean when he says in the beginning of the gospel? When they were my translation, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Joe. Uh, yeah, just when, when, uh, when, when they were first converted and, and when Paul left Philippi. Which would have been where in, in the New Testament do we read about that? Yeah, Acts 16 and beginning of 17. Acts 16, and then in the beginning of 17, he leaves and he goes to Thessalonica. And Thessalonica is uh, a few miles west of Philippi. I'm trying to remember how far we drove it last fall. Uh, it seems like it was a little over an hour, maybe from Philippi to Thessalonica by car. I don't remember. But. Um, you, you, you. I don't think Paul drove as fast as you did, though. No, I don't think he did. Um, Verse 15, Ye yourselves also know, ye Philippians, that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, so not only is he referring to when he went to Thessalonica here, he's talking about when he went on down to Athens, um, which is where he went. He went from Philippi to Thessalonica to Berea. Those are all in Macedonia. And then in Acts the 18th chapter, he comes down to, no, Acts the 17th chapter, he comes down to Athens. So he says in the beginning of the gospel that uh, when I departed from Macedonia, no church had fellowship with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you only, giving and receiving. He's talking about them giving funds and him receiving them. Then he says in verse uh, 16, for even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my need. I think that's really interesting because Thessalonica is where he went immediately after leaving Philippi. And at that point, these people in Philippi or Philippi, I don't know which way you want to say it, they're new Christians. These are people who've just become Christians and now he has left and gone on to Thessalonica and already they are giving of themselves to provide for his needs. And then they did so when he went down to Athens as well in Corinth. And think about what happened to him when he was in Thessalonica and the struggle from the, uh, 
the Jewish brethren that rejected him and the, the danger that he faced in, uh, in Thessalonica, they would have therefore known about that. If they were having fellowship with him during that time, you know, yep. I, I think it's very difficult to imagine them not hearing about the suffering uh, that we read about at the beginning of chapter 17. Uh, and if that's the case, this makes even more, it makes, Chase's phrase, it packs a bigger punch. Mm -hmm. um, I think to uh, all of Paul's sufferings and his reminding them of, I can do all things through Christ. Mm -hmm. So then we come to verse 17 and he says, not that I seek for the gift. I'm not, I'm not just in this trying to get your money, but he says, I seek for the fruit that increases to your account. I, I like that phrase. What does that phrase mean? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Amen. What's the fruit that increases to their account? So certainly just their generosity, but I would take that to mean they truly are. As we go back to Philippians, the first chapter, and, um, oh, uh, where was it? Where he talks about their being partakers with grace, but also verse five, your fellowship in the furtherance of the gospel, in their mm -hmm. sharing and furthering the gospel. So as he preaches the gospel, uh, Paul was a tent maker and he could work and support himself. But if he had funds coming from others that would enable him to do more work or more work preaching or, or spend less time making tents, uh, then they were sharing in that work with him. And so then when he preaches the gospel, when people become Christians as a result of his preaching the gospel, that is fruit that, that is credited not only to Paul, but to those who are helping Paul do that. And so he says, uh, I'm looking to increase or to seek the fruit that increases to your account, on your ledger, your account. You get credit for this work that's being done because you're making it possible for me to do it. I think this just goes to show, you know, talk about the parable of the mustard seed in Mark chapter four, uh, something so small sprouting to be so big, birds of the air are able to nest underneath its shade. That's clearly what you're seeing in the situation of Paul in the, in the Philippians and Macedonians. That's neat. I would not have thought of that uh, parable here, but I can see how it very aptly fits. And then we talked about Epaphroditus having been the one who had brought their gift to Paul. It actually says that again here in verse 18. I have all things in abound and in filled, having received from Epaphroditus the things that came from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Hey, wow, there it is. As long as you're faithful, God will make you rich, right? Yes, that's right. That's what Paul said. Uh, what kind of riches? What kind of riches? Spiritual blessings that are in Christ. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, if I could just mention, uh, I'm, I'm always uh, impressed with uh, uh, Levitical references. Um, and so when he talks about their, the gift that they had sent to Paul, so they had taken up an offering, a collection, and sent that to Paul. Paul calls that a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. Uh, I can remember years ago, I sort of uh, wanted to, to throw out the idea, throw away the idea that a, a collection or an offering was a part of worship. Uh, I understood it to be a command, but to call it worship, I was, I 
it just gave me an uneasy feeling. How am I worshiping God with my money? It just sort of it felt dirty until I realized that well, sheep are dirty. <laughs> you know, <laughs> offerings sometimes are, but, but it, it's what we're giving to God. Um, and, and so it, it's powerful that in all five of the sacrifices that Paul mentioned, or that, that Moses mentions in Leviticus 1 through 7, all, all five of them use this phrase, of a sweet-smelling aroma. Uh, and so in the way that offerings were made up in the Old Testament to give things to God, when we give to God, we're not paying the electric bill or just you know the supporting the preacher. We're giving something to the Lord. And that makes it, that makes it a spiritual act of worship. Oh, yeah. in, in the same way that the money might feel dirty and weird as a sacrifice, Joe, I mean, in, in Hebrews 13, 15, through him, then let us continue to offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that give thanks mm -hmm. to his name. Our singing is also a sacrifice. And I, I've heard you sing before. I mean, it, <laughs> it, 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 might, it might not feel like a sacrifice, uh, but to the Lord it is. Where did he go? <laughs> I had to get that in there somehow. All right. Thank you, Chase. I appreciate that. All right, Joe, I, I really, I thank you for your point there, because I guess I find myself retracing the journey that you have traveled in talking about how you used to think about the money that we give and kind of going through that transition. You've kind of, you've kind of opened my eyes there. That's, that's well put. I appreciate that point. Um, and I, you know, just the thought, those of us who preach the gospel and who are supported financially so that we can, we, this says something about how we ought to look at the funds that we receive from brethren who give sacrificially so that, so that they can help us do our work. And maybe it says something about the attitude that we should have toward those funds and, and how we make use of it. And again, another tie to Romans 12, he talks about those who are able to give with liberality being a gift. Um, mm -hmm. So now I'm thinking, did Paul have the, the church in Philippi in mind when he wrote Romans chapter 12? Um, because this church certainly had many of these gifts. Yeah. So then we come to uh, verse 19, and he says, oh, that's the one we just read, verse 20. Now unto our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then we have the salutations of the greetings that we often see at the end of his letters. He says, salute every saint in Jesus Christ. We started out this study talking about the fact that he addressed himself to the saints. Um, yeah, all the saints that are in Christ Jesus back in Philippians chapter 1 verse 1. And that, what that word means is holy ones. And uh, so he says, greet all the holy ones in Christ Jesus. The brethren that are with me salute you. So there were people with Paul. And he says, all the saints salute you. So all the holy ones, the, the holy ones where Paul is, they send greetings to uh, Philippi. And he says, especially they that are of Caesar's household. So we talked about this back in, in the first chapter. But again, it's really in, in, interesting to think about the fact that here in Rome, Paul is a prisoner before the emperor, before Nero, to have his case heard. But there are some of Nero's own household who have become Christians, holy ones. And it has been suggested that perhaps uh, the evidence seems to be that Paul actually was released from this imprisonment, was able to go about doing some more work, and then later was imprisoned again and lost his life. Um, it has been suggested that perhaps the fact that there were those in Caesar's household um, 
who had become Christians might have uh, caused the uh, emperor, caused Nero to rule favorably in Paul's case. Of course, the fact is he should have ruled favorably. Uh, Paul hadn't done anything worthy of death. Those who judged his case back in Caesarea had confirmed that. But Nero was the sort of man you, you couldn't rely upon what was right to say that's what the judgment's going to be. And then he concludes with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And that's the end of the letter. Any final thoughts on the letter or anything you want to go back and touch on? All right. Well, I think it's been a good study of the book of Philippians. I hope those of you who have uh, followed along over the few weeks that we've walked through the book of Philippians have gotten something out of it. I hope maybe you can go back and you can listen to all those recordings and, and just make a study of the book of Philippians out of it. We'll be picking up with a new topic next week. We'll, we're going to wrap this up just a, a minute or so early today just because we're done. And uh, we'll see you next week, Lord willing. Thank you, guys.